But welcome to you, wherever you're at, whomever you are with. I want to wish you an incredibly Merry Christmas. I hope that you're cozied up and uh, having a wonderful Christmas weekend. Uh, if it feels like something is missing, uh, maybe this message will add that thing that you're uh, still yearning for. Uh, I do want to say before we jump into our teaching, uh, one gift I want to give you absolutely free. It's called the Version Bible app. There's all kinds of great reading plans. In fact, you could uh, uh, upload it on your phone or your device and uh, read about the Christmas story uh, in many different versions. You could watch video clips. And then also, uh, this message uh, will be available on your favorite podcast player. Uh, just search for Arlington FM Church, and there you will find all of our teaching content. Well, uh, we have been in a series uh, over the month of December called Revealed. And it's uh, really uh, our effort to, to put the heart of the Christmas message out there in front of us. And uh, Revealed uh, really says that uh, is when God became knowable to us through the event of Christmas. In fact, uh, in John's prologue, he writes these incredible words, no one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. Well, that's Christmas in a nutshell, that uh, when Jesus Christ came to this earth, uh, he revealed God in the flesh, uh, God incarnate, deity in the Son who was born uh, like one of us. In fact, uh, John will write, when the word became flesh and lived among us, uh, we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten son of the father. That's a fancy way of saying uh, when Jesus lived among us, we saw how good God really is. And we saw that God could be approached on the basis of his mercy and his grace and his truth. And uh, we saw early on in this series uh, when Jesus came to the end of his ministry, was preparing his disciples for life without his physical presence, uh, Philip had a request. He said, Lord, just show us God the Father, and that'll be good. That'll be enough for us, and then you can do what you will. And I love the response that Jesus had to him. He said, Philip, have I been with you so long, and you don't know who I am? And then these incredible words, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. And uh, he went on to say, look, if you don't believe the words that I say, uh, believe the works that I've done. And these are really the two great uh, points of revelation, uh, the two vehicles by which Jesus revealed the invisible God. He said, you can uh, listen to my words, the, the words that the Father has given me to share, or you can be convinced by my works, the, the works that give us a glimpse into the heart of God. Uh, you know, when we ponder the miracles of Jesus, uh, they kind of unfold to us uh, what God values, what his priorities are, what his nature is like, uh, how we can expect him to act among us. It's kind of like, uh, you know, someone who spends their life appearing into the heavens, uh, searching the galaxies. They have the best uh, telescopes humans can create. And uh, lo and behold, after uh, hours and hours and days and months and years of searching the heavens, uh, someone who's devoted their lives to this will spot a little uh, ray of light in a, a black hole in space, and they'll be aghast because they know 
that that ray of light is telling them uh, there are not only millions, but perhaps trillions more stars that are emanating this light in this dark place. You know, that's really a good illustration of what, what Jesus said. The miracles, they're pinpoints of light that reveal to us the infinite God. And uh, so uh, we've looked at in John's gospel, these signs, these wonders that Jesus did to reveal God. The very first one is when he turned water into wine. And we saw that uh, the God of creation is offering uh, us, you and I, the opportunity to become a new creation. You know, not just a fix-it project, but to become children of God, born of God, an entirely new uh, spiritual connection to our creator. And then last week, we looked at this healing of an official son. And, uh, you know, Jesus kind of reprimanded him, saying, unless you people see signs and wonders, you just won't believe. And uh, the wonderful outcome of this guy is uh, he realized who Christ was. And uh, it says he and his entire household believed, and he learned that God doesn't want to just uh, do emergency interventions with us, but we can live a lifestyle in his presence. Well, uh, today, this Christmas Day, we're going to look at a miracle you may be familiar with, even if you're not a churchgoer. And uh, it's a miracle where Jesus uh, fed a huge crowd of people with uh, five loaves of bread and two fish. And uh, we're going to ask this question, what did Jesus reveal about God when he fed this large crowd of people with just a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish? We read in John chapter 6, sometime after this, Jesus crossed the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. They were wowed by what they had seen, and so they, uh, they wanted more of uh, this magic worker. And then Jesus went up on a mountainside, and he sat down with his disciples. In this important note, the Jewish Passover festival was near. And that's important because it would have cast this entire miracle uh, in the events of the Passover. If you're a Bible reader, you know that the Passover is when God worked miraculously to spring his people out of slavery, bring them out from bondage so that they could worship him, go into the promised land. And the Passover celebrates a God who worked powerfully on his behalf. If you're a Christ follower, you know the Passover took added significance when Jesus identified himself as the Passover lamb who would be slain to liberate people from the bondage of their sins. So uh, just that one statement fills this miracle of the loaves and the fishes with added significance. We're told that when Jesus looked up, he saw a crowd coming to him. He said to Philip, hey, where should we buy bread for these people to eat? And now, interesting side note, he asked this only to test Philip because he already had in mind what he was going to do. You know, when I read those words, uh, he already had in mind what he was going to do. It reminds me of one of the greatest prayers I ever heard, a simple yet profound prayer. And the prayer was this, Jesus, what are you up to today? And could I be a part of that? You know, that's really the heart of responding to what God is up to in the world. And so uh, Jesus already had in mind that he was going to do something uh, marvelous to meet the needs of these people. So uh, 
Philip answered him, You know, Lord, it would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each of them to have a bite. You might say uh, Philip has sized up the situation, and it's impossible. Yeah, well, there's another disciple, we're told, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He spoke up. Lord, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. Emphasis on small, uh, five small loaves of bread and two small fish. And then he asks the question, but how far will they go among so many? Well, he's about to find out. You know, it's interesting just in these two disciples, you kind of get a, a view of life. Uh, we either see the uh, impossibilities or we see the opportunities you know, we either see the, uh, the challenges that are simply insurmountable, or we see a, a setting in which God could do the impossible. And, uh, well, uh, Qu Andrew's question is quite a good one because he's about to see Jesus answer it. Uh, Jesus said this, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. There were about 5,000 men who were there. Interestingly enough, when they counted crowds in this day, they only counted the men, chauvinists that they were. And so there was at least double, if not triple and quadruple that number with uh, women and children. Uh, Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and he distributed uh, to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the exact same with the fish. And when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. In other words, don't take for granted this miracle of provision that God has worked among you. So they gathered them, and they filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. And after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. You know, you read those words. They were wowed by what Jesus could do. They were impressed by his authority, by his appeal. Uh, so they came to him with an agenda. The word says they, they were about to force him to become king. And uh, Jesus has an interesting response to that. The words literally say he ran from them. <laughs> he ditched them when he saw that they were coming with their agenda to force him uh, to be their leader. You know, at the very least, uh, this is a statement. Uh, we should be really careful about making Jesus the focus of our political ambitions. Uh, he makes it very clear uh, that's not the nature of the kingdom he came to bring. In fact, he'll tell Pilate at the end of his earthly life, my kingdom is not of this world. You know, that doesn't say that uh, Christ followers should not be uh, politically minded. doesn't say that we shouldn't contend for causes. But it does say we should never assume that because things matter to us that that's the, the top of Christ's agenda or that somehow all we need for him is to authorize our good plans and they become Christ's good plans uh, so we see uh, where he is at in this whole thing. He's gone. He went to a mountain by himself. Well, if you read through the story, uh, not only did Jesus ditch the crowd who were going to force him to become their king, he ditched his disciples as well. Nobody knew 
where he took off to. As the story unfolds, uh, the disciples head across the lake by themselves. They get stuck in a storm. Uh, Jesus comes to them in the, the middle of the night, walking on the water. They arrive at their destination, and then we pick up the story on the other side of the lake. Uh, we're told that when they, the crowd, who tried to make him king, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? In other, in other words, they were asking, where did you go? Why didn't you let us know where you were heading? His response is worth paying attention to. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs. Now, uh, pause here for a minute. Jesus is saying, you're looking for me, not because you saw a glimpse of eternal God through what I did. And uh, you're following that glimpse. You're wanting uh, more of the revelation of God. Instead, uh, Jesus says, you're wanting more of the miracle goods. Uh, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed uh, and you connected them to the awesomeness of God, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. In other words, their gaze was too low. Their mind was on the immediate when Jesus not only wanted to meet their immediate needs, but he wanted to direct them to something much higher and much greater. Uh, you know, they had received the gift, but they didn't allow it to open their hearts to the giver. And Jesus uh, makes this comment to them. Uh, you shouldn't labor for the food that spoils. In other words, don't make the focus of your life the things that are immediate in front of you. You know, God cares about those things as he obviously displayed through this miracle, but instead, you should labor for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And then Jesus makes this amazing declaration. Uh, this is really what you ought to labor for. Uh, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. You know, uh, Jesus is trying to uh, redirect their thoughts and their gaze and their priorities and their focus. Uh, they were driven by their appetites rather than directed by their king. And uh, let's just admit something here on this Christmas day. Uh, most of us spend most of our lives being directed by our urges and our appetites uh, we may not uh, say it that clearly, but most of the time uh, we're directed by how we feel and how things make us feel and what we think are our most immediate and pressing needs. Yeah, uh, it's amazing uh, the connection that uh, researchers are finding between our gut and our mind, that uh, you can throw off your gut a little bit and all of a sudden there's all kinds of stressors going pumping through your blood. Our neurotransmitters are impacted by what's happening in our stomachs, uh, our inflammatory levels in our body, all of these things related uh, to what we eat and uh, how we serve our appetites. Uh, I'm reminded of what John the Beloved said. He said, look, don't love the things that are in this world. Uh, we need things. And we need to uh, work for things and uh, meet our needs and meet the needs of those who depend on us. Uh, but John says, don't love those things because all of those things are passing away. But really what we ought to focus on 
is uh, that love for God that truly brings satisfaction. That's exactly what Jesus is aiming at when he says, I am the bread of life. Work for that bread. Uh, let me ask you a question. Uh, anybody like good bread? Uh, anybody going to enjoy some good baked goods over this holiday season? Uh, you're looking at here a Ukrainian uh, Christmas uh, loaf of bread. Doesn't that just look yum? And uh, Well, the truth is uh, we all like some good baked bread now and then. Uh, here's, a, here's a photo of a traditional Midwestern holiday Dessert loaf. Uh, I could eat into that right now. Uh, how about this one? A Czechoslovakian Christmas bread. Uh, that looks pretty uh, appetizing. Uh, one of my favorites, the Dutch Christmas stolen uh, with homemade almond paste. Uh, gotta have that sometime between now and the new year. Uh, you know, uh, here's a bread most of us love to hate. It's called fruit bread. And uh, in fact, <laughs> I once heard of a contest uh, where people could bring uh, fruit bread they've had on hand that hadn't been opened for the longest period of time. Someone actually brought a fruit bread that they had received in the 1950s, still unopened and uh, still inedible. In fact, I think this uh, symbol should be on every loaf of fruit bread. Uh, Mr. Yuck means no, stay away from this stuff. Well, uh, here's the American favorite bread. It's called Wonder Bread, and we used to say it's a wonder. They even call it bread. In fact, it's actually been banned in some countries as a dangerous substance. Uh, speaking of breads, uh, I was once on a conference where uh, my colleagues and I uh, went to a Native American conference center, and uh, over the evening meal, they served this addictive substance called Native American fry bread. This stuff was so good. Uh, that uh, me and my friends, uh, who were really doing some altruistic things, serving young people, giving of ourselves, we find ourselves uh, reduced to stealing baskets of this stuff from other tables uh, where people weren't sitting yet <laughs> so that we could have more of it. And, uh, and then this next photo uh, would be the kind of bread that's close to what Jesus multiplied to feed the, dis the disciples. Well, here's the point of all this. We all can appreciate the value of good bread. In fact, civilizations have been built around it. Uh, some people think that bread was first form of currency. <laughs> Thus, we have the term, uh, how much bread can you afford? And uh, we can all appreciate uh, the value of what bread means to us. But uh, Jesus is inviting us this Christmas weekend to see him as the bread of life. Uh, to see him as that uh, thing that our soul really desires, you know, when we're, when, we're, when we're lacking, that we see him as the one who can meet our need. When we're stressed, we see him as the one who can bring us rest. When we need to be nourished, when we need uh, to overcome our fears, when we're facing weakness or challenges, uh, that we would see him as the one who can supply everything that we need. I was reminded of a a good friend of mine uh, wrote a song a few decades ago. You may be familiar with it. It's called As the Deer. And uh, he tells the story behind these words. As the deer uh, pants for the water, so my soul longs after thee. You alone, Lord, are my heart's desire, and I long to worship you. 
And uh, he tells the story of uh, where that song came from. He was in his house one day and he felt unsettled, stressed, off-center, like something was missing. And he did what many of you and I would do. He grabbed the remote to the TV, started surfing, looking for something to capture his attention. After a while, realized that wasn't quite meeting this angst in his soul. So then he did the next thing many of you and I would do. He went to the refrigerator and looked in there for something that would comfort him. Found no solace there. And uh, as he continued to follow this leading, uh, he realized what he was really longing for was communion with Jesus. He was longing for that affirmation, for that sense of his presence, for that peace that passes understanding. And uh, I would ask you this question uh, this Christmas day. Uh, have you learned that lesson uh, that the things you long for, the things you really need, that comfort, that encouragement, that strength, those things are all found in your communion with Jesus Christ. In fact, the Apostle Paul would write a few decades later, in him, in Christ, the bread of life, we have come to fullness of life. And uh, a big part of the challenge of faith is seeing through the smokescreen of other pursuits and focusing on the quality of that communion with Christ. Uh, sometimes uh, it's the most religious who struggle with this focus the most. In fact, we're told uh, as the Jews heard these words of Jesus, they began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say I came down from heaven? You know, in a word they're saying, uh, we realize there's something unique about him. He speaks like none other. He's done some pretty impressive miracles, but saying that I am the, I am the bread, the nourishment, the life supply that came down from God for humanity, isn't that a bit much? Uh, Jesus has an interesting response to their questions. He says, look, stop grumbling among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up in the last day. Uh, Jesus is essentially saying, uh, don't get a brain cramp over this. Here's the truth. If people are open to God, they will hunger for Jesus. The Father draws them uh, to that healthy appetite to feast on the bread of life. If we're open to God, we will hunger for Jesus, and that's what Christ goes on to teach. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here in front of you, right now, available to you, Emmanuel, the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread they came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. You know, uh, Jesus was saying, uh, look, uh, I'm not encouraging cannibalism. I'm not saying that you need to literally eat my flesh, but I am saying uh, my body is food, and I'm going to give myself uh, for the, the, the hunger of the world, and uh, anyone who comes to me will be able to eat and find life and be nourished and be satisfied. Well, uh, he said enough 
to make them either uh, get the point or to make them mad. Well, they got mad instead, and here's how they responded to the focus of Christ. Uh, then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. They pointed to the literal uh, bizarrety of a statement. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And uh, as I said, uh, Jesus is certainly not encouraging cannibalism, uh, but he is using provocative language to make a point and uh, to appreciate uh, what Jesus says next. You kind of have to think of uh, maybe a situation, a, a middle-aged man has not been eating well. In fact, he's been eating anything he wants, and it's beginning to take a toll on his body, on his weight, on his obesity, on his heart, on his blood sugar. He goes in to see his doctor, and uh, his doctor realizes he's not getting the point. You've got to change your ways. And uh, in order to break through his bubble of defensiveness, uh, the doctor decides he needs to up the shock value of his words. So he says to his patient, who he cares for and loves, uh, look, if you don't change your ways, you're going to be dead before you're 50. <laughs> and the shock value alone uh, makes the attention scale go up a bit. Maybe he'll add some words like, look, if you want to see your grandchildren, uh, you've got to start today living differently, eating differently, pursuing a different lifestyle. Well, if you can take that, that disposition, it's kind of what Jesus uh, now ups the shock value of what he's saying to these people who just can't seem to get that God has focused all of his provision in the person of Jesus Christ. So Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day, for my flesh is real food. And my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood, think of the shock value, uh, remains in me and I in them. And just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestor ate manna, and they died. But whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. You know, uh, uh, these are uh, strange words, uh, difficult words to process. In fact, uh, we're told in John's gospel that many of the disciples stopped following Jesus at this point because they found his language a bit too intense. And uh, he's really inviting us to see past the edginess of his words and, and hear his message that, uh, look, uh, it's not a casual response to Jesus that brings life. It's all in. It's deciding uh, there's nothing better for me than this bread that has come down from heaven, and I'm going to eat it. I'm going to take it in. I'm going to make it a part of my life. It's going to be what sustains me, what I look to when I'm weak, when I need comfort, when I need satisfaction, when I just need to experience the joy of living I'm going to find myself like someone with a healthy appetite returning to the bread of life again and again and again. You know, uh, uh, lots of times uh, people develop uh, eating disorders, not just eating the wrong foods, sometimes not eating any food at all. I had a family member who went through a season 
where they just weren't eating enough to sustain them. It was painful to watch, but uh, thank God to come through that uh, period, that stretch. Uh, but uh, many times we either eat the wrong things or we don't eat the right things. And uh, God would use all of those symbols to remind us that uh, Jesus Christ is the one who truly satisfies our lives in amazing ways. You know, I went through a, a period myself where uh, I pretty much ate anything I wanted to, when I wanted to, I realized uh, I've got the metabolism, never going to gain any weight. But uh, I hit a stage midlife where, uh, you know, things started changing. The blood pressure started creeping up. Blood sugar started making its way in the wrong direction. Uh, started uh, accumulating deposits uh, that are uh, kind of the shape that creates problems uh, for your body. And remember, uh, just trying to think that through. And uh, do I need to change my approach to life? And had a conversation with uh, my youngest son, who uh, has discovered the joy of uh, living well and uh, using food as fuel. And uh, he made a comment to me that really struck home. Uh, we were talking about this. He said, Dad, uh, just try this. Just try staying away from foods that are highly processed. And when you read the package, you don't know what the ingredients are. And uh, just that comment set something in motion in me. And uh, I find that uh, years later, uh, I want to eat good stuff. And uh, I don't have a difficult time saying no to the bad stuff. And I can't really explain uh, what changed this priority, this motivation, other than a word of truth got through. And uh, I wonder, could that happen for you in your response to Jesus Christ this Christmas Day? Uh, that uh, rather than, you know, uh, a casual response uh, to the bread of life that came down from heaven, uh, yours would be wholehearted. You would find yourself laboring for this food that endures to eternal Life. Well, I want to invite you to share uh, a prayer with me. Uh, Lord, thank you uh, for your heart for people. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you that while we're still languishing in our need, you already have in mind wonderful things that you want to do for us. And I know that's true, God, for people that are hearing these words today. Uh, they may be uh, facing stressful situations. Uh, maybe they don't have uh, the finances they need to anticipate covering everything. Uh, Lord, whatever situation of need, uh, we know from your word, from your heart revealed through this miracle of provision, you're already planning to meet those needs. And you're inviting us, Lord, to see beyond them, uh, to see the person of Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. The word became flesh and lived among us. And we want to thank you, Jesus, that you are indeed the bread of life that can truly satisfy us. Uh, as you're, uh, we're closing this message with prayer, I want to remind you of words of an old hymn that I think are so relevant uh, in this context. Uh, the words say this, here's my cup, Lord, I lift it up, Lord. Come and quench this thirsting in my soul. Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Fill my cup. I lift it up, Lord. Make me whole. Lord, those words really express the desires of our heart. Uh, may we move through uh, this uh, holiday season. May we anticipate the year to come with a fresh appetite for you. And uh, 
Thank you for the times that are in front of us, Lord. We're going to see you do wonderful things, meeting needs, filling our lives. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.